Once again, I'm Jake. I'm William. And today we're joined by Chico Freeman and uh, Michael Alamana. Alamana. Uh, you guys want to tell us about yourselves to get started? Uh, well, we can together. One, two, three, go. <laughs> <laughs> no, why don't you ask some questions? I'm not going to do this. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so Chico, yes. you're from Hyde Park. Or no, I'm Chicago. from Chicago. You're from Chicago. Yeah. How has, did growing up in Chicago influence your development as a musician? Well, <clears throat> I grew up in a musical family. My father's Von Freeman. His two uh, brothers, my two uncles, are George Freeman, guitarist, and Bruce Freeman, the drummer. And they had a band, Freeman Brothers. And I grew up listening to my dad and his brothers play. And a lot of musicians, you know, I was surrounded by because of that. So I grew up like that. Uh, I grew up wanting to be a pilot because my uncle, Bruz, flew. He was a Tuskegee Airman. Mm. So I really looked up to him. Uh, he was a pilot. And uh, <clears throat> so that's how I started wanting to do that. I wanted to do that. Later, I ended up uh, getting a scholarship to, for mathematics, and uh, so I ended up going to university, and then I changed to music. But I did music my whole life, ever since I was five years old. And Michael, you've worked with the Freeman family for some time, right? That's Can correct. you talk about how that collaboration began and how it's sure. continued over the years? I was just one of the young cats who would go see Chico's father at the New Carmen Lounge, which is on 75th Street. And uh, the first time I went... Um, so when was that? 90, 1990, mm. uh, when I first went. And it was uh, my guitar professor at the time, Fareed Hawk, said, you need to hear Von Freeman. And he took me there. And I was like, what is this? This is some other like outer space plane that is really hitting me deep in a way like like it's like this ain't what I learned in school you know <laughs> like, sure. and so I started hanging out and after a couple years Vaughn was really affectionate became affectionate towards me and he, he let me sit in with the band and play in the jam and he would challenge me by making me play with singers so I checking to see if I could learn the repertoire and then um, a few years later he started to hire me as a sideman and then um, his pianist uh, uh, John Logan passed away and actually he John Logan passed away and then he hired a, a young pianist named Fred Rakestraw and then Fred passed away a year later and he hired me to fill in uh, to be his as a uh, guitarist and uh, um, I'm glad you didn't pass away. yeah well that's what he said he said uh, he lost like something like five piano players in 10 years and he was well, like John uh, was <laughs> well John Young was still around at that time it was uh, Kenny Prince died yeah Alvin Farrakhan died yeah. John Logan died and uh, uh, Frederick Strad died yeah. so uh, he's like I'm sticking with the guitar now and then so that was in 97. And then I worked with Vaughn until he, you know, basically kind of got ill and then was uh, passed away in 2012. And then 2013, I started working with his brother, George. Uh, we've had a band since then, uh, two guitar group. And then I started working with Chico around 2015. You hired me for that All in the Family session. I think it was one of our first times playing together. And um, well, the past couple of years, we've been doing a quintet. So... Yeah, Freeman since the early 90s. He's in <laughs> the me. family now. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's wonderful. Thank you for, for sharing about that. Sure. Um, so as collaborators between the two of you, how I mean, how does your work influence each other? When, what are you performing this weekend? 
Uh, good question. Um, I think I have to go back to the, the not the, not this last time, this time, but the, the time before this when I played the Chicago Jazz Festival. And uh, I had a band with Malcolm George and uh, Ernie Adams, I think it was. You talking about that time in 2015? When we did I don't remember years. It's all in the family well, projects thing. The time we played a jazz fest with, yeah. with George, yeah, it was 2015. Uh, I had made a record with my uncle entitled All in the Family, but we didn't play the festival. And I brought a guy over from Switzerland, his name is Rachel Weber, percussionist. And um, Mike played on that, and Ernie, Ernie and Ernie Adams, yeah. Yeah, George, and who was the bass player? Harrison Bankhead. Harrison Bankhead, yeah, he, who has since passed away. Anyway, that was a great thing, and then we played right after the festival, not right, but a week or so later, we played at the Jazz Showcase uh, on Plymouth, near the airport station. And I, this is the first time I hired Mike, mm -hmm. but I had been talking to him about possibilities prior to that. Because, uh, and when we did this, we had some songs that we played. But I think I pulled out some, something really hard. If, you uh, did. I pulled out something really hard. And Mike, I, he didn't have a chance to rehearse it, I, I recall. But we played it, and he played the shit out of it. So can I say that on the... You can say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I said, damn, this mother, this guy is <laughs> <laughs> a very good musician. So, and we had fun with this band, I, I remember. And so I thought, okay. So I had been trying to find projects that uh, since then that we could do. I wanted to bring them to Europe. With I wanted to bring Chicago musicians from here to Europe, and but we got waylaid by number nineteen, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, and so we it, a lot of things got put on hold, and yeah. know, so but then we since then we you know we I continue to want to I continue to want to do um, that so. <clears throat> Uh, recently, the, the most recent thing, well, not the most recent, but the thing before the most recent was my uh, project, the, right. the legacy this is project. A big, big project. We, yeah. Which we did here, well, not here in this, but here at, at, the, at the Logan Center, University of Chicago. 19 piece orchestra. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote all the most of the music and nine tenths of it. And, and I have this guy, John Kordaleski, he uh, arranged it for me. And, and we did it, we did the performance, and Mike was on that too. Mm -hmm. So uh, he and I started collaborating <laughs> in general, just about things. Because he was very helpful in addition to playing. He was also helpful with logistics and all of that kind of stuff, because right. I was in Switzerland. And so. And you had gotten that big, big South Arts grant for that. Yeah, project, I, right? I got a pretty large grant from South Arts, and uh, that's how we were able to make I paid him, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> For all the logistics working <laughs> and pet playing, but <laughs> that too, <laughs> yeah, that too. But anyway, that's what. So we've been still doing it. And so recently, uh, because of my father's hundredth anniversary, um, we kind of been celebrating this year. That's so great. Came back here, or what? Came back this year. Uh, th yeah, th this is what is this? Twenty three. So that was in twenty one, right? 
legacy project. You know what was last year? It was 22. 22, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then I wanted to come and play the festival right after in 22, but we couldn't do that. You're right. Really. So we did it this year. So this, because, and it makes sense because yeah. this year was the 100th. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I'm here and I'm kind of celebrating all over the city. That's um, great. Fortunately, we have we have this uh, High Park Festival, which is tomorrow. So we got the South Side cover, and then we're going to be playing at the Jazz Showcase from Thursday next this Thursday coming through Sunday, and that's like downtown. And then we're going to be doing the Green Mill on uh, October six and seven. That's like the North Side. So kind of covering Cover all your bases, covering yeah. all the city. So that's that's what we're doing. And uh, one other thing, uh, my family has a storied history. Yeah. And Mike, in addition to playing with my dad and my uncle George and now me, he's also an academic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a teacher and uh, but he, he, a professor. I was at his uh, when he got his doctorate. Yeah, yeah, he I was. was <laughs> he was there. You should have heard him like. Because, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I, I, no, no that's okay. You can, no, no, no. I mean, it was just, we, uh, earlier we were speaking about uh, the geography uh, department here, right? Yeah. Some of the theories I got from that um, helped drive some of my methods of interviewing. And one of my, uh, um, uh, 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 one of my advisors, um, really got deep into that theory and his questioning. <laughs> you were like, what is all this stuff about place and space? What are these kids talking about? And you were not having it, man. It was, it was ridiculous. He was advocating for it. Actually, I don't want to yeah. mean your guy. Yeah. No, no, he's a great cat. And he okay. wrote a wonderful book about uh, Mr. Yeah. Uh, it was but it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and wonderful was, books can be ridiculous. Was, yeah. But it wasn't just a book. I don't, the book I'm not saying. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah, I know, just know, speaking about our theory. <laughs> the theory talk. And, yeah. and I'm thinking, this is my first time actually in someone else's, you know, what do you yeah, call it's it? your first dissertation defense. Dissertation yeah. you know, defense, that's what it is. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, the guy, Mike hardly had a chance to speak. The guy spoke so much about what he was talking about, and by the time Mike got the answer, we had to wade through all that other stuff, and then finally, because I remember you hardly spoke. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that happens on defenses. The, the advisors, right? They, they they speak a lot about where try to get put in context their question and and your work, and then it was so like it can get really long yeah. a little too much. All that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, by the time he said all what he said, and I tried to follow him, but I, I did. I went to school too, so, and I listened, and uh, it was quite, quite, for me, kind of irrelevant. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, I, I spoke up about it. Yeah, yeah, you were nice that time. Nice. Yeah, no, no, it was a, uh, uh, you know, it's it uh, the academic world is is you know you have your. We have our ivory tower discussions, right? Where we're just like, and it can be interesting, but when you're talking, you're talking about the reality of life, and when you're talking about the reality of culture that yeah. you live in and that you're producing and that you're part of, it, there, there's still this divide that you know. And much I try of, to bridge. Yeah, and much, much of Michael's uh, dissertation was about my father. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, which I was proud to be there for, and I was, I was very, mm-hmm. I was happy he invited me to. to be Absolutely. There. So when he, the guy went through this other stuff, had nothing to do with my dad at all, and not only him because, and the surrounding subjects, right. you know, that, that Mike was bringing up in terms of geography, which was relative, 
but not in this guy's whatever he was the preface. Yeah, 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 exactly. He was, um, as, as academics um, will do, as you know, is they, they'll concentrate on the arguments within their field. Yeah. And that won't pertain to musical parts and the cultural aspects necessarily that we're familiar with. And so, you know, that's, that can get really, and that's why I loved, loved having Chico there because Chico and, you know, I, my, my defense was I think the first one in the music department as the, as the, uh, um, as the pandemic hit. So it was the first Zoom defense that oh, they had was done. Zoom. Yeah. Dude, I was in, I was so that's why he was he was being there because he was in Switzerland, right? Yeah. So it drew a swath of academics, musicians, and community people, right? People out here who are fans of Vaughn. They wanted to be there and, and check it out. And so you got all these like Oh, different forces mixing together. It was really, I mean, you, you brought so much great energy to that discussion section. It was really great to have that. I was afraid that I was going to cause it not to get it. Well, it seems like it worked out. It worked yeah, out. It worked uh, out. Uh, you got to call me down. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I don't got to do nothing. <laughs> that's <laughs> But anyway, so that, that's, that's, our collaboration spans yeah, a, a wide range of world. Of, uh, yeah, a wide world. So yeah, you got your PhD, mm -hmm. and now you're on faculty here. Yeah. So how? What I mean? What do you do on faculty here, and how does that intersect with the work you did as a musician for so so many, and still do as a musician? Well, it's it's a. Uh, I'm the director of jazz ensembles, and actually, I'm I'm bringing in Chico in two weeks as a guest because we're doing in the first quarter we're doing the music of Elvin Jones the great drummer who played with John Coltrane and, and Chico was in his band for several years. And so um, what I try to do with the ensemble here, because what's so interesting about the performance program here is it's not part of like a degree that you're getting, I'm getting a jazz degree. It's you, you know, people who do studying just like you guys, economics and history and all that that you're doing, but do, but have, have the talent and the desire to learn. And so it's really about like, it's a community sort of, uh, yeah. type of activity and so what I did with Chico's father and of course and Chico does as well it's about the community I mean all of Chico's music is about moving people you know he's not he's not trying to outsmart everybody right it's it's deep music and it's heavy music but it's also meant to touch people and and his father was the same way and so what I learned from Vaughn and what I what I continue to learn from Chico and George is, is it's about the community. It's not about trying to show up. So for me, it's not, you know, my musicians don't have to be the most virtuosic. They just have they just love what they're doing and we and that's what it's about. It's just like let's bring everybody together and make music and make people happy, you know? And so that's kind of what I try to do here is to bring what I learned from Vaughn and Chico and, and George to the students here so that um, that legacy of community building around music continues. So what are the programs that you um, run as director of jazz I just, I, I'm, we have two jazz ensembles at the University yeah. of Chicago, um, and then they're just two different time slots, right? We do once a week on Wednesdays at the Logan Center, one rehearses at 5.30, one rehearses at 7.30, and um, every quarter I come up with a different program. Last year we started with uh, just jazz standards, and then the second quarter, we did all uh, Chicago composers, or kind of uh, Chicago, great Chicago musicians who were composers. So we had 
we actually had music by Vaughn and George, but also um, uh, Earl Hines, uh, uh, Eddie Harris, and that. And then in the uh, spring quarter, we did all Brazilian music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I have a ba- big background in Brazilian music, and my wife's from Brazil, and I speak Portuguese, so I thought it would be fun. This year, we're going to do Elvin Jones, and then we're going to do, um, I'm planning on a all-female all compo- uh, composer concert, and, uh, um, and then doing probably the music of Ornette Coleman. Kind of more avant-garde style. So I just I try to bring just a little sliver of jazz history and and interesting musical processes to the kids so that they learn something different every every quarter. I'd like to comment on what he just said, if I might. Please. <clears throat> uh, just a clarification. Uh, this not this does not it's not necessarily the way he thinks. So I'm not upset, but uh, but it sounded like he used the word jazz standards the way I perceive it. Mm-hmm. Because every person you named mm-hmm. was a a, a musician. Standard. Exactly. So I, I I personally delineate between between standards and jazz standards. Standards, which is more or less the American songbook. Yeah. Which is Broadway songs and you know the songs songs from movies from Fred Astaire and Gershwin and all that. Yeah, all that stuff. And um, jazz standards are songs that were composed by musicians, jazz musicians. So. When he said jazz standards, I was first. I was thinking he was maybe including, but we've had the conversation. Exactly, and so I, I, I'm happy to see. Oh no, I, I, I was with you on that. You know, I, we, we did one or two standards, but it was jazz standards in the sense of like. Yeah, I don't want to confuse the two. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what that's why. I'm, that's what, what, yeah, what musicians learn as they're out here and these sorts of like great composers in the jazz world. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, like you know Herbie Wayne. Miles, Charlie Duke Barber. Ellington, Charlie Glass, you know, yeah. Yeah, myself, and the peers that we play with, yeah. because uh, you know, because we're out here doing it together. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about some of the collaborations you've had in your career? Some of the people you've worked with who you, you spent uh-huh. some excellent time in New York uh, under various apprenticeships. Kind of how does that influence true, your way of composing? Well, I, let me run off a few names just to, yes. and then I'll pick a couple that focus on. Max Roach is one of the most important people in my life. Muhal Richard Abrams from here. Uh, Elvin Jones, McCoy Tyner, uh, <clears throat> Billy Hart, Tribali. And um, these are some of the, uh, oh, uh, Andrew Surreal, Cecil Taylor, and uh, oh, Kenny Barron, and uh, uh, Barry Harris. So th- this is just a few of the really standout musicians that I had the opportunity to work with. And I've worked with a lot more, but I named those because Max Roach took me under his wing, and he told me a lot of stuff. And he did. A, he he was just. He took me under his wing, and he told me stories about Charlie Parker. And, but he was highly educated. Matt, he graduated from Juilliard. His wife uh, was Abby Lincoln, Aminella Moseka, and uh, I grew up with her, not knowing that she. Was, I mean, my one of my very best friends when I was a kid on my block. His auntie. Was Abby Lincoln. So, uh, and I, I had been hanging out with him and seeing her all the time. And then when I got to become a teenager, and I fell in love with her, but I didn't know it was the same woman I had been hanging out with. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with her. She was in this film with Sidney Poitier, uh, For Love of Ivy. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was funny. Uh, Richard Davis, who lived across the street from us, and so all of these kind of things, you know, that 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 was part. But in New York, so I uh, Cecil McBee was one of the great people people I played with. Um, Walter Davis Jr. 
and uh, but Max was really important. Then um, um, Max would just I, I traveled with him, and he he just talked to me. He just really I don't know. He liked me, and so he just kind of just really yeah. was always there. Billy Hart, another one, um, was a great influence and help, and he he was in my band for many many years. And uh, so, then Elvin Jones, who is my favorite drummer of all time, he had a different way of being, but he was, he was extremely, I mean, my, one of my first rec record records that I got, record deals, you know, I got, I got, I was in this band, we were on a plane to California, to Los Angeles, to record, well, to, to play, and then Elvin comes up, we were on the plane, he walked, he, he was sitting somewhere, and he walks up and sits next to me, and he says, you want to make a record? Yeah. I said, yeah, sure, Alvin. He says, uh, what do you want to play? I said, whatever you want to play. I'm thinking it's his record. He's asking me to be on it. He says, it ain't my motherfucking record. It's yours. <laughs> so that he got me that day just like that. All of a sudden, i like, oh, I need to get music for this record. And he says, who you want to use? And I'm thinking, should I use the band? I'm in the band with you. <laughs> but I said, uh, we didn't have a piano player, so I said, can I get McCoy? And he said, I'll call him. And he called him, he said, McCoy's not available. He says, but uh, he says, he would like to do it, but we can't do it, he's in Europe. I said, okay, so I said, well, can we use Hilton Ruiz? And he said, so he managed to have Hilton call. And I did it with the bass player that was in the band, Elvin Hilton, and uh, myself, and uh, I added a percussionist for one song. And that was it. And that was one of my first albums. And it came just like that. No preparation. He just did that. That was the way he was, you know, like that. Mm. So he he was very kind to me. And he recorded on my own record, some other records of mine. And, uh, and I toured with him for about three years all over the place. So that was good. And so <clears throat> those are two people. And then there's Sam Rivers. He was a huge influence on me. And uh, he had Studio Ribby. He was really responsible for my European career. Mm. And he did that by, he had this, this, this large ensemble, the Studio Ridgeby Band, in which he put me in, I was a part of it. <clears throat> and he got this uh, at the Nancy Jazz Festival. He, they gave him a full day, the whole day was his to do. So he broke the band down, the, the, the large band into smaller groups. He, he, at which he gave me an opportunity, and I could choose what I wanted, and I chose Dave Holland and uh, Barry Alshold and uh, this guy Khan Jamal who played Vibes. And I'm in a quartet and other people broke down, but I played and my performance was quite good. I mean, it, it was successful, I'll, I'll say that. And uh, so the, and then after we all played in the first half of the festival, then we were back with the large ensemble and we ended the concert like that. <clears throat> well, there was an agent, booking agent there uh, he was at that time he was Sam's agent, and he was interested in talking to me. Talking to me, so I ended up here representing me, and my whole European career was jump started just like that because of Sam Sam Rivers. So he was one. So I played with that band for as long as that, with he as long as Sam was around, and I brought Steve Coleman into that group because uh, when Steve came, he came to Chicago, uh, came from Chicago a little bit later. So Sam Rivers is a very important one. Muhar Richard Abrams, because that was here. I studied with him here in Chicago. 
And he was like, uh, he was a mentor to me. And I joined the AACM, which is the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians. But one other thing, because uh, <clears throat> uh, Mike said he was going to, he was thinking about bringing Ornette Coleman because he wanted to go to the avant-garde. I have issues with labels. Mm-hmm. And I don't like those labels. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the so-called avant-garde was also called free music and out music and all of that. And none musicians, we don't name our music like that. It's yeah. usually um, writers and you know, so-called critics. <laughs> and they just name, name stuff because, I don't know, they try to put a handle on it because they can right. sell it or, or not. Either they want to sell it or they want to destroy it. But they need a handle in order yeah. to do that. So, and one of the earliest examples that I know about that, of that, which caused me to really not, to, to reject title, the labels, was done by Leonard Feather. He was a famous jet uh, writer during the 40s with, the, with Bird, Charlie Parker, and Jesse during that time. He wrote for the Los Angeles Times. And uh, he wrote, you know, bebop, you know, refer to bebop, right? Yes. <clears throat> and it became, you know, common language for people to describe a particular kind of music. Well, Leonard Feller, before Bebop, he, before the name, he walked up to uh, Dizzy Gillespie after a concert in Los Angeles, and he asked Dizzy what kind of music was he, what was that he was playing. And Dizzy thought he was talking about the last song he just played, so he told him it's Bebop, which is the name of the song. Yeah. <laughs> And he told him, and that, they, that's the song, Bebop. So they played that. So he said, he said, Bebop. And I said, okay. And he went back and he wrote this big article. There's a new music called Bebop. And he, that whole thing became like, with, with Charlie, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and Max and all those guys, was, that's how Bebop came. Yeah, damn journalists. Yeah. Yeah. It drives me crazy with that, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I did this, I, I, I'm not going to mention the name of the guy, he was a, a, a writer in New York, and I was writing a song, and he heard my song, and he said, oh, I like that one, and I said, it's called Freedom Swing Song. And next thing I know, he had a big article, Centerfold in the Village Voice, New Music, Freedom Swing. <laughs> he just stole my, you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, damn, well, at least I'm on the same level with Dizzy Gillespie, which I did then play with Dizzy, he's another one that... Uh, is, was a great influence to me, but that's so that th- I don't like it. So the avant-garde, avant-garde all only means out front, right? It's French for out front. It's all it is. So if you think about that, I mean, Michael Jordan was avant-garde. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Wayne Gretzky was avant-garde. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali. Yeah, Muhammad Ali was avant-garde. <laughs> And so, so I, I'm like, okay, so I, I can take, that's, that's nice if that's a compliment, but most, you know, most people say, oh, it's avant-garde, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. And so, because like Cecil Taylor, a lot of people listen to Cecil Taylor, but don't, or they critique, critique him, and they call him free. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I play with Cecil Taylor, so I guess that makes me free. I said, no, I don't play for free, I get paid, you know, free is, is there, you know, because, and Cecil's music is not free, it's structured. It's written down. He can write it out, and even though it sounds to people like it's completely. Oh, it's not. Exactly. So I prefer the, 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 what we called it when I was with Muhal. You said we played experimental mu- music, and I thought about it, and I said that's really 
true because earlier in my career when I was working with them, I experimented with forms, harmony, rhythms. It was all experimental. And this, this music has a history of being experimental, even from what people call inside or, you know, non So, for example, the blues, right? That's a laboratory for jazz musicians back then. Mm. The variations, many variations on playing the blues. Hundreds and hundreds of yeah, them. Right, exactly. Same thing with I Got Rhythm, what we call rhythm changes. And what's funny about I Got Rhythm is that, that, that was written for a black Broadway show, Porky and Bess, back in the 20s or 30s. Yeah, right. yeah. And they, had, they hired George Gershwin to write the music. Yes. Now, he was a great composer, no doubt, but I think, well, but he didn't know anything about black music. <laughs> and this is an all-black cast, all-black exposed, comes from all-black cultural, historical perspective. And I'm thinking, how, why would they hire him when they had Duke Ellington, who was America's most prolific composer? Total. And, but I know why. It's because of this country and it's yeah. how it is still. But George Gershwin had to study black music. He had to go and figure out what black music. Now we had, and if you think about the, the, the core changes to the rhythm is like one, six, two, five. I don't know if you know music, but it's like doom. You, it, that's an old R&B or rhythm blues uh, chord progression that before jazz was, it was, it, it was something that was used. It, it was like a staple, like rice and beans, and rice goes with lots. This thing was a kind of a progression that was just throughout all kinds of music. It's like doom, doo doo doom, doo doo doom, doo doo doom. That's one, doo doo six, doo doo two, doo doo five, right? Boom. And rhythm changes, one, six, two, five. Well, anyway, he, he, he had to study the music to try to capture it, right? Duke Ellington already knew that stuff, it would have been a better choice, but he did that. And he, I'm not going to take away from his, the music is beautiful, he wrote, he did a good job. But that music was, and rhythm changes became another library, I mean a laboratory, sorry, not library, it became another laboratory like the blues for musicians to work in it. The variations on rhythm changes are seem endless. Mm -hmm. So we've always been experimenting. That's part of what this music is, you know. Did you know that the drum kit, Max Roach called it the multiple percussion set, but the drum set, right? Yeah. That was invented by a black man. Why? His name was Sid Catlin, and, and we got around him, with the, you know. Uh, because during uh, the enslavement period, when they were bringing uh, Africans over, right? You had the English, the British, the French, the Spanish, and the Portuguese. These were the major slave traders. Yes. The, everyone except the British, the, meaning the French, the Portuguese, and the Spanish, they, they did not ban the drum. That's why the French, for example, Haiti, big drum culture, yes. that, yes. that was a French colony. Brazil. His wife is from Brazil, but the, uh, the Brazilians let the drum stay. Hence, Brazilian drumming, and the Spanish as well. That's why you got Cuba and other Spanish colonies, right? But 
America and Australia, which were British colonies, they banned the drum. I'm, the, British, the British banned the drum. Why? Because Africans used the drum to communicate. They knew that they could talk with the drums, and the British knew that, so they banned it. So if you look at all the British colonies, there is no heavy African drum tradition, in, like you see, find in Haiti, Brazil, and uh, Spain, you know, not Spain, uh, Cuba, etc. And why is that? Well, that, I said that, I told you why. So, but you can't, you ever think you can take the boy out the city, but you can't take yeah, the city yes. out the boy? You can't take that stuff out. So what happened is, Catalan, those people down around there, we were influenced by European musicians, music and instruments. So they took the marching band, they took the bass drum, boom, boom, boom. He took the tom-toms, that's in the marching band, and snares, you know, and cymbals. And he took them all and he fashioned them into the drum kit. So that's the black American, black American tradition, uh, invention. And, uh, and it, it just shows what, what's going to come through, you know what I mean, if, when things like that happen. So all these labels and all of that kind of stuff, yeah. it, we've, it, this music has been uh, experimentation. It's just, it, that's just tradition. That's what we do. Yeah. We try to figure out new ways to do new things. Like Michael Jordan trying to do <laughs> on Dr. J and Dr. J. And every, it's the mm -hmm. same thing. It's just it's, it's black culture. Yes. It's, that's all it is, really. Thank you so much. Thank it's you. been great to have you guys here. If um, I can ask the one last question. Yeah, sure. Uh, if you could share a quick message to the world, what would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> I got too many. Yeah. <laughs> ask Mikey, and then I'll let me think. <laughs> share a message to the world. Um, keep listening to jazz and support it and let's you know so that more of this experimentation can keep happening and more young musicians can come along and we can support our established musicians yeah just keep keep loving it I guess I would say I, I mean I, I could say something very humanitarian like love and all of this and, and I'm tempted to do that because but I would like to capsulize it in a little different way as human beings we have emotions that we need to express, all of us, period. No matter who you are, where you come from. And uh, sometimes it's difficult for us to do it, to express it. Sometimes we don't find the words. Sometimes we don't find, you know, whatever we're doing, you know. The arts are means of expression of who we are at the times we're in and our reflection on those times. And, uh, and we try every day to do something. And usually when we want that expression, we try to do it with some amount of beauty and love and you know something, something that might benefit humanity. And so I say with that, um, first comes the need to express, then comes you develop the technique that's needed in order to make that happen. So, keep all the arts open and understand that we need the arts, music, all the arts, because we need that expression and it touches people. And sometimes when you, a person can't express the way, in their own way, they can live through someone else's expression and because it touches them. So that's, what I, that's the message.
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you again. Once again, I'm Jake. And I'm William. And we were joined here by Fico Freeman and Mike Alma. Until next time.